Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Strange Boat Podcast. I'm Keith Arthur and my shipmate today is someone who's helped change the whole face of angling, especially carp fishing. His brilliant use of social media and modern marketing techniques, even mainstream television, has produced stars that shine brightly despite being dressed in camo gear. Well, olive green at best. He's also a fine carp angler in his own right. Welcome aboard Ali Hamidi. How are you, Mr. Keith? It well, feels like ages. It does, doesn't it? It really is a long, long time. I'm okay as far as it goes. How about you? Well, I know how you are. You're busy as usual. I, I am, yeah. But, but more, I didn't think, I, I obviously wasn't that busy previously because I've never known busy like it. So it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy time. But it's lovely to sit with a familiar face, though, because uh, I miss those days in the tight line studio, to be honest, sit, hey. sitting with you a lot. It's a lot calmer life back then. <laughs> yeah, even though we had probably 17 people making sure we got to look something like intelligent on television. Ah, <laughs> uh, you were you were you were incredible, incredible talent when you you know your times doing that. I know, I know the times that I I stepped in when you were on holiday to to have a go. I realised just what a skill that was to, to to do the auto cue. You made it you made it look so easy, and the best people that's what they do. They make it look easy. Uh, it was luck more than anything else. But anyway. Stop, bl- stop blushing, stop blushing. <laughs> and you stop blowing on. smoke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm always interested in, in the, the, the basics of people. And, and how did you get into fishing? Because, you know, your, your, your original background is, is Iranian. And I wouldn't yeah. think that fishing was a particularly big sport in that part of the world. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm ready to be educated. Uh, yeah. Well, it had, funnily enough, and I'm very proud of it, but that carp fishing in the last sort of 10, 10 to 12 years has, has really picked up there. There's a big community now doing it properly like we, we do in Europe. And, um, and I'm very thankful to them because they say it was seeing the YouTube films with this Iranian guy in Europe that got them into researching. They really got into it. But prior to that, it has always been... It's in the culture. It is in the culture in the Middle East. Um, they would have eaten a lot for the table. 
caught the lake fish for the table. There's some stunning species. I'd love to be able to go back to do something there. Catch there's some massive carp there. Um, north of Tehran, there's uh, they've sent me pictures of like sixty pound commons, and then the tigris barbel, you know, yeah. which is in the northern mountains in the you know between Iran and Kurdistan and that those areas and. That, that tigris barbel, um, which is almost a cross between a Kamitso and a Marcia, yeah. probably the, the best description I could give. What a, what a species. But I think it's become so complicated there now that I can't, I can't go back. I've never been back since I was seven. I've only been back once. I came to England when I was six, went back for my seventh birthday, and I've never been back since. But to go back... A big incentive, of course, to see family, sort of, but it would be to fish your homeland. But yeah. that that would be. Um, but there is that the, the fishing's really popular. They've got sea fishing. You've obviously got the birthplace of the carp, the Caspian Sea, yeah. where it all, where the first ever carp hatched, apparently. Wow. Um, I didn't know. So that. there's a yeah, there's a fair bit of history, um, and I think I think the Middle East as a whole would had would have much bigger freshwater species especially carp if they didn't all get eaten um and they have yeah catch and release has is become i saw a picture of a 40 pound carp from algeria the other day wow yeah that's, that's yeah. surprising that is surprising yeah they've got ideal yeah. growing conditions and and they're obviously going to breed better than they do in 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 this country and, and northern Europe, where the the summers are rarely long enough, for, uh, are rarely warm enough for long enough for the fry to hatch and go through the very early development stages until they're big enough to be self sustaining. You've got to have that. Is it twenty two twenty one or twenty two degrees water temperature? You've got to have for a given length of time for the fry to survive. I think. But anyway, that's uh, we, yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Seventeen and a half degrees for spawning, yeah. and then they're, they're and ironically they're. they're digestive system as a carp is best it is optimum at 28 degrees so oh. it, yeah i mean that's not far off bath water isn't it and that no, and right. we all think oh it's hot oh they're not feeding but actually when they're used to a consistent water temperature like that they're thriving and getting bigger quicker um so organically they're going to grow bigger in those countries but they don't have the food and and normally, when I've I've seen some crazy fish pictures over the years from places, but it's normally a carp caught up in a in, in a gill net or whatever um, from a reservoir somewhere out there, and obviously it's never it never went back. Yeah. <laughs> it got taken out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, starting fishing. Back to your original question. Yeah, came here and it was a I've, I've said it on a few different interviews. It was a kid at school, um, a bit of a naughty kid, um, Daniel Anderson. He took me fishing with him and his family bang into it and uh he took me eel fishing with a waggler uh, i watched them i didn't actually fish the first time i went and then that was it i was sort of i was bitten and then yeah ne never let go been hooked <laughs> ever since so yeah you were on a bolt rig whereabouts was that uh it's where i grew so i grew up in where i live again now in colchester and it was just a little like a little brook off a off a um, just it was it wasn't attached to the, the river Colne, but the salt water part of it. It was just over a little hill, and we used to climb through the woods to go there. It was a crazy little place. I actually funny funny story. When I went back to fish for myself, I went back to this place. Didn't have a rod license. Didn't have a didn't have a, didn't. It wasn't a club. It was just a little pool by the river. And I went back there with my dad. Now I've got a fishing rod and a waggler and a hook. 
And I remember not knowing what you do when you use a float, right? Obviously, most people know it goes under and you strike, right? And I remember just setting this float and it was sticking out about that far above the water, like six <laughs> inches sticking out, you know. I'd like probably put like one 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 BB on each side, and it was a it was a huge old thing. And then it went under, and I remember just staring at this float that had gone under for ages, and just not knowing. My dad was sitting on a blanket having a picnic, and um yeah, and then never struck. And then I you know wound in, and there's no worm, and that the eel had uh, eel had, had it had it off. But yeah, I learned pretty quickly that you strike when the float goes under. After that, <laughs> <laughs> there was no internet back then, and I didn't have, I didn't have any fishing mags or anything. It was just it was all it was all self taught, you know, learning on the job. I thought you'd work the float part out though quicker. <laughs> <laughs> well, we yeah, that, that's it's really interesting. We get onto that sort of stuff, and, and maybe a little bit later on. So, but how do you get from a non-striking, non-striking waggler to carp fishing? Was it just a that natural what, progression? Oh, God. The progression the progression was over a couple of years. But I think as a kid, because you have these these long holidays, once I discovered fishing, that was it. Even though I loved playing football, I was quite good as, as a footballer, as a kid. I'd, I'd, I'd go, uh, I'd, you know, but every minute, in my head was focused around fish and um i think i i went i joined the club my dad used it as a bit of an incentive to work harder at school so he would say like if you do well in your exams i'll, I'll pay for your membership for the club uh, whatever it was 20 30 quid back then for Col- colchester postal and telecom club which was the pits nearest my house which i was prior to that going with this naughty kid and hand lining in the close season with with cotton out my mum's um Cotton out my mum's sewing kit, and we'd have a hook, and we'd be hooking these carp off the top, and the lines break. God, the things we do as kids, eh? But it accelerated really quickly, and it went from loving float fishing to obviously then having a float, you know, swing tipping, then then getting, you know, losing things that that felt very big, and then in the end, you start to have a proper, you know, saving up, brought a second-hand carp rod, and I'd always I'd always float fish, always because that's what occupied your time on the bank. And then you'd have your sleeper rod out, wouldn't you? Or with ledger in with either a you know, big cube of meat. And I think I was fascinated. So when I was going to this complex of pits, I would, I would bike there every day or walk there with my kit. And I'd go, I'd go, um, I'd obviously go past these guys with like these brollies up and these rods on alarms. And it's fascinating. They looked like, these i suppose i don't know they almost look like terminators in the future and i couldn't i i i I had so much admiration for them um and then you'd see these people like keith arthur in the diver catalog and (laughs) you see all these rods and all these fish pictures it was just i was absorbed by it um and i think that's why now people say to me i have such a such a long memory back to i suppose this early 90s i'm talking about keith that's when i really started fishing so my memory goes back to even those very early Daiwa catalogs because I read everything page to page. I was just a complete and utter, I would say, student of the sport from a young age, obsessed by it. And I, it's only now, looking back, you realise you were destined to do what you do because you were so fascinated. You were so fascinated by all of it, you know. It yeah. was... It, uh... <laughs> so, so I suppose, I don't know, who would have been your... your um 
heroes in those days because then in the early 90s, Nashi was, was part of the diver setup, wasn't he? Julian Cundiff wasn't far away. And then it yeah, was. Yeah, Zen and, Zen and Boyko. Zen, Zen Boyko, yeah, yeah. 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 And he's, and, he's from and, that part of the world as well, and he's, and he's, he's around yeah. that way. Colchester, yeah, he yeah. lives in the same town. And I, and I, I remember because I couldn't afford any magazines and I didn't really get but I'd, I'd borrow them off friends who, or, or I'd get bits that I'd see. And obviously these people in the magazines were like megastars. They always said, don't meet your heroes. It was true. But uh, I mean, when, you're, when I was, when I was reading them, yeah, you had Zenon and even, even a few years on, um, there was Damien Clark who lived in Colchester. And obviously I went on to work with Damien at Corder and everything, but he was, you know, he caught the big snake pit common and they were all in big carp magazine. And I was, I honestly, I was like a sponge sucking up every last morsel of information Whatever magazine I could get my hand on, I would read, learn, understand, and try to apply it whenever I went fishing, which was as much as I possibly could. You know, you do accelerate at a young age because you learn so quickly. Um, and and it, you've got and you're an resourceful. Open, yeah, you've got an open mind as well, haven't you? The mind is there ready to be filled, and it's not, you don't have to think, well, why am I doing this when you know a little bit more and somebody says, try that? Well, I don't actually try that. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. You're, you're right. You, it's you, a very open mind. Ah, uh, they're, they're magical times. Okay, I get, I mean, talking about it, when I think back to that childhood of fishing, it's like, better. I'd, I'd be lost if I was a kid and didn't, thinking, what would I have done if I didn't have that? What would I, you know, okay, I would have played football and had a kick about, but, you know, that time by the by the lake and, you know, being lost and it didn't really, I remember just so absorbing. That's why I do always going to think it's the best hobby in the world. So I am biased. But. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was introduced to Damien in, in Willie Wassie's tackle shop in Colchester because that was on my area as a diver rep. And I remember going and, and Will, you know, he used to puff his little chest out and be as proud as anything. Keith Arthur, I'd like to introduce you to Damien Clark, who caught the snake pit common. I wouldn't know the snake pit common if it landed through my letterbox <laughs> at, the, at the time. At the time, because I was only really a match angler, Ali, when I went to work for Diver and everything else has come since. And I, I, will, I will always be a match angler, but I'm a match angler that can do almost anything else. But I've never owned a bivy or an alarm. Never had yeah. a bivy or a buzzer. So because I've always liked to see the bite and be more active and... And even even when I fish, you know, fish for big fish, and I fished my local River Thames for big fish, and no great success, but certainly not in the carp department anyway. And and I still like even then I I adopt the the, the watch and learn policy the whole time. But that was um, yeah, it was, it was a great lad, Damien. Of course, I'm I'm going back probably would have been 93, 92, 93 maybe. I so. think he started. Damien worked the first time in Wasses. Uh, it was a bit later than that. Probably ninety five, ninety six. I bought my first fishing rod from Wasses. So he may have uh, been. He may have been the Saturday boy there, who who was in one day yeah. when I went in. But it was. It, I left Ivor in ninety five. So you're right. It would have been around about around about that time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it because I used to go in there to. Once I knew he worked there, I used to go in there every day and absolutely like punish him up because it was Damien Clark. I, when I was at sixth form, my college was only five-minute walk from Wasses, so I'd be every single lunchtime, I'm in Wasses. So he would think, oh, no, not, not him again. What did, you, what did you do for work before you entered the tackle industry? Because also about that time, I remember talking to someone in a tackle shop in Beckentree, I think, and yeah. uh, he was selling leads. 
Ah, and I said, oh, yeah. no, that's, no, that's nice lads, mate. He said, yeah. He said, I said, who makes them? He said, oh, my boy. I said, oh, right. Ah, oh, Bill. He's, yeah. He said, um, yeah, he said he, he's going to start a business selling them. I said, well, that's not going to go far, is it, selling leads? Who's going to pay a pound for a lead? You know, <laughs> and, and we had, I, was, I wasn't disrespectful. You know, I said, but that's a, that's a major step. You know, selling leads is, they're expensive to deliver. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're all sorts of problems with just selling leads. And yeah, how wrong was I? <laughs> sometimes you just, sometimes you just got to have a go. And obviously the story of Danny's um, success and everything. I love listening to them stories of his mm. early days. Because now I have more, I had a lot of respect an incredible amount of respect for him anyway, whilst I was at quarter for 16 years. But now having started one more cast core, the respect I have for what he achieved is even greater because I know what he would have gone through in some of those early days. And he wouldn't have had some of the luxuries I've got now at my disposal, like social media and already having a following. So huge, um, huge amount of respect for that. And yeah, it does. It's, it's inspirational when you think back to those, because if he'd listened to all the negatives of why it won't work, he'd never do anything. That's you know, right. I had it when I was starting this. Yeah. Oh, oh I know. I've seen it on my social media. Yeah. 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 How are you going to enter a saturated market? Well, you got, and sometimes you just got to back yourself yeah. and believe that no matter what, what gets put in front of you, that you've got the, the ability to fight through it with, with perseverance. And that, that counts for a lot in life. Just, just, Grit and determination. <laughs> it's also not much good entering a business which no one's in because they're not in it because there's not much business. I, I, I remember when <laughs> I used to I used to work in a tackle shop in Acton and I lived in Wimbledon and I used to drive for, for my sins up Fulham Palace Road and around Hammersmith Broadway sometimes to get there. I, I, was, I was working in the branch in Hammersmith at the time and I noticed on Fulham Palace Road there were almost next door to each other two dive shops. Now, I'm going back now to the mid-80s, uh, mid to late yeah. 80s. And I thought, well, why would you put one dive shop next door to another dive shop? And the answer is because there were already customers going there. Because it's the only yeah. dive shop for miles around. You don't want to open one the other side of town. You want to open one close by. And it was two doors apart. Unbelievable. And I learned a lot just from that about business, which I had no knowledge of before at all. And there's two skin diving shops in the middle of London almost opposite Charing Cross Hospital I mean, why? But then I found out why. So did, did you go straight from college and into fishing or did you have another no. career first? No so my, at, at you, I went to sixth form then I went to university and I studied in marketing and media, that was sort of my passion, I wanted to go into that type of sort of sports media went to, I mean I've still got the clip I think somewhere where when when you and Bruno were doing tight lines, I went to Sky on work experience, I think during my second year at uni, and that went really well. And they offered me work. I didn't take it because I didn't want to quit uni, carried on, but carried on working for Sky at weekends. And, you know, I, I remember, I, I, I remember that. Yeah, I carried you. I, I brought us. I brought a chair on for you. Uh, for I think it was for Bruno Brooks because you stepped in, and it was before you started presenting the show, and you were his. You were his special guest every week, weren't yeah. you? The, the the fishing expert, and uh, yeah, I brought I brought the chair on for Bruno, um, and um, yeah, and that that was it. I carried. I worked on the boxing, the football, and they offered me uh, like a full time job while I while I was on work experience. Said, so, "Do you want to?" And I was like, "No, I want to finish. Um, 
I want to finish my degree, get, you know, do what my plan was. I always like a plan. And then I went to work for a marketing company after, still in Cheshire, because I went to uni up north. Um, and um, yeah, after that, it, it spiraled. I went to a few other companies, developing my marketing knowledge and experience. And then, yeah, Corda, Corda uh, had a job advert out for a marketing manager. And by then, I was earning a few bob, a lot more than I was when I went to start at Corda. But just the, the passion, and my mum could see the, the desire to go and work in the industry I loved. Uh, I was writing in magazines by then. I had, a, I had a, I was writing weekly um, in in some parts, and monthly in Carp Cartworld and Crafty Carper. So I was I was known to Corda, and I had already I'd started to get some sponsors. So I had like bait sponsors and tackle sponsors. So uh, you know, at a pretty young age, like twenty, I was already in the trade, but not working in it full time. And then by twenty five. Yeah, because I wrote my first article in Cartworld was while I was at uni still. So it was like 20, 21 years old. And that was it, really. That that was me. And back then, if you started writing regularly for Cartworld, and then plus I had the, the actual physical work experience in that trade, it, 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 you know, when I went to Corda, I think even though they already decided before that I wasn't going to get the job because Damien could remember the kid that used to go and punish him every day in Wassies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he... They, they, after the interview, that that was that they pretty much, um, it was all, it was all very successful, and sixteen years, sixteen years um, followed, and that was incredible, really, because right at the very start, I mentioned that you were a, a large part of changing the face of how angling and fishing tackle was marketed, and I've put it in that order: angling and then fishing tackle, because. Much of the promotion work you did at the time, although the Corda name, image and brand names were in there, it was far more subliminal than being bashed around the head, Corda, 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 Corda. It was, it was always product based. And this is how this product works. And this is how you do it. And this is what you catch. And by the way, it happens to be made by a company beginning with K. And that's how I see it. Maybe I'm maybe I've 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 got rose tinted spectacles on and I'm looking at it because that's what I want to see. But I honestly believe when I first noticed Corda getting established, that's what I noticed, how they were promoting carp fishing and with it their product. Is that a fair comment, do you think? Yeah, I mean that that to be honest, the reason it worked so well with with myself going there and, and Danny was the fact that Danny was already obsessive about editorial. And I think that's the thing. See, now that we, I can give you a little comparison to where we are now with one more cast, right? So we've got, we've got a lot of vehicles at our disposal, but we don't have loads of humans to create editorial all the time uh, and to get out fishing to create editorial because it's editorial versus advertorial. And editorial content is giving someone the information to help them better at their, to, to make them better at their hobby if they wish to absorb the information. Then they go out and deploy it, they catch on it, they get trust in you, and they come back for more information. And Danny was already doing that right back to, I mean, he was doing videos with Frank Warwick, and then he did the underwater films, the first one. So that's before I even went there. So the journey with Danny had already started and that's why he was then so backing of things like the, uh, the first ever thinking tackles. I mean, even the carp fest we did, which you in the very first year, Keith, you came to present them yeah. to Sky for us. Um, 
So already he was behind all of it. And, and that's why it took two to tango, but the tango was beautiful because he had that ethos to help others. And he's carried that. He'll carry that on forever, Danny. And, 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 uh, and I was always like that as well. I like to write um, and be instructional. And sometimes it's quite frustrating now with, with, in the early days of our company, sometimes you feel like you're advertising more than you are advising. And, and advising with your products in it feels far more palatable than it does advertising w- with, you know, almost, but, you know, just a push, you know, yeah. go and buy it, you know. Yeah. And that, 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 that's a huge part of what Corda did. And really, it was taking magazines, and I know you've got an editorial history, haven't you? So like taking yeah. magazines and putting them into video, which yeah. is what, you know, we've done. And that's basically what you know. I, I first wrote for a magazine in about nineteen late nineteen seventies. Um, I got regular columns, and then I got videos, and then I got Sky. Well, Wire TV first, then Sky. Then you know, I mean, I've been writing in Angling Times for over thirty years. So you're, you're right. And all I've ever wanted to do, all I've ever wanted to do, because I've never been selling stuff. You know, even when I worked no. for Diver, I didn't write an article about Diver gear. I wrote the Diver catalogue, but I didn't write the diver catalogue in Angling Times every week, all I've ever wanted to do is to make people, or help people, not make, help people enjoy their fishing more. Exactly. And if you make them enjoy it more, they'll go more, they'll buy more, they'll do more, they'll be, they'll, they'll encourage more people to join again. And it's all really I've ever wanted to do. I've, I've, I've tried to be as generous as I can with my knowledge. I've never given other people's information away, but I'm very happy to give any information I work out or, or get an opinion on. <laughs> I'm very happy to give my opinions away, as you know. But uh, it's it's something that, that I know you're equally passionate about, passionate about um, as I am. And I think it's so vital. And if only more people thought of the... The industry, the trade, the sport, the profession, as that—how massive it, it would actually be—and it's all already pretty massive. But so, you, you, you obviously have a love of TV, you have a love of the media, you have a, all kinds of media, especially, especially um, social media, social uh, platforms such as—I mean, Facebook, I know, and Instagram, and everything. I, I know you are. Um, thinking tackle was already going. But you, you expand, and, and thinking at the time, and I, I do know a little bit about this, um, television companies were desperate for content, weren't they? Um, if, if they could get content and, and not pay much for it, they'd be desperate for it. So Thinking Tackle became a big hit, but you expanded the television brand so much more. Yeah, so Thinking Tackle, obviously, the good thing was, having been at Sky as a kid, um, or only, yeah, three, four years before that, I had good connections. My friend Chris Cockrell, who you know really well. Yeah, um, I've I got his name written to... down on my chip, my crib sheet here. Yeah, <laughs> so there you go. So, so mine and Chris's uh, re- relationship and friendship was was in was in tandem. And and once once I went to Corda, um, it was very easy quickly to to, to get something together um, to present to, to Sky. And yeah, so Thinking Tackle was born and that started. But I always felt the subscription element of that channel was reducing our potential impact as a as a company producing television. And Thinking Tackle was very much like the masterclass DVDs and stuff we do. It was very, very tactics led. And as, as it was evolving over time and more companies were appearing on YouTube, 
I, I always felt like it needed another, there was another gear. And for me, it was going on to free, let's call it free view, not terrestrial, because yeah. terrestrial is the big four in my head. Or the free, big to five, air. Now, like. free to free air. Free to air, air, correct. Yeah. So free, so free view was the, you know, and, and the underwater films we did, seven and eight, that were very successful. I managed to meet, just through doing a premiere at a cinema, a, a TV director that was doing Kingfishers for Nat Geo, Stroke, ITV were helping produce it at the time. Didn't go further than one series, that. But he did have uh, connections into ITV. Didn't know that. Obviously, he sort of knew it at the time, but we became friends. And he came to direct Thinking Tackle. Once we got going a little bit, I said, we, got, we should try to get something together for mainstream. And... Um, Big Fish Off was born. Like Nick, it was mainly Nick to be fair. Who Nick now is a is is a is a shareholder with me at One More Car. So that's how the world has gone. Um, but he, you know, there's such a loyalty there that, and and he came up with the idea of the celebrities and taking them on. And that was sort of like Jeremy Wade had already opened the door a little bit again. I thought, I'd say he was the the first fishing breakthrough on mainstream. Really, since Robson Green did it. That opened the door up to to Jeremy getting on with River Monsters, but really it was the first breakthrough with a proper proper focus on fishing since John Wilson on 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 ITV. So, you know that was that was good. Big Fish Off went on was a flying success, and at the same time as when we pitched Big Fish Off to ITV, I had written the the show idea of Monster Carp. But I remember presenting it to Katie Farragut at the time, who was the commissioning editor. She's moved on now. But she was like, what, a show about carp? It's like, yeah, yeah. She's like, no, nah, no, we'll go with the celebrity option because that was a safe bet. <laughs> yeah. If they don't like the fishing, they might like the celebs, you know. But yeah. they like they like the fishing more than they did the celebs, actually. Yeah. And, and then very quickly, within two, we went and shot the first ever Monster Carp, um, and that was, it wasn't the first show that aired, but it was the first show ever shot at the mighty Lake Balaton in Hungary. And I presented that to them. We cut it, presented it to them. They loved it. And by then the commission editor had changed and Monster Cart was born. And, and that really, once I had, once we'd sort of helped create two winners on there, a real, a real amount of trust developed between myself and the channel because they, they kind of thought, well, he's, he's set, he's put his, He's put his house on too, and they both performed really well. And then after that, we got Fishing All-Stars that performed. And then when I started the company, one more cast, I was able to introduce the Grand Fishing Adventure. And the great thing is Monster Carp has been able to carry on afterwards as well without, you know. So it's, it's been great for fishing. So good relationships, bonded, you know, got their trust in the sport again consistently. That's the thing. So it airs every year, not... A show and then it disappears fishing disappears for five years off telly and then comes back again you know and it's made a big difference to football to the sport the amount of people saying they've started as a family because of watching it on itv that's the best thing you can hear really yeah you've played <laughs> um you, you've been on telly playing football as well haven't you I did, um, yeah, it was almost my dream to do Soccer Aid, but I'd snapped my Achilles uh, two years before I sort of, I was quite close to the commissioning editor of that ITV, and he said, you know, if you got well, you'd be able to do it. And and I did get well as quickly as I could, but they'd already picked the teams the year I went. So I went, I got to train with them all. Um, but 
it's a shame because if they had put me in the squad that night, so they said basically if someone gets injured, you're in. No one got injured. And then the night of the game, um, which Cantona and Roberto Carlos and Usain Bolt and all these are all playing in, um, two, two or three got injured. <laughs> and I was sat on the bench behind Cantona in a suit. So I was really gutted. But yeah, I've done a lot of the, since then, there's another celebrity. I don't, I don't ever class myself in that bracket. So I was just very fortunate to get to that position. But there's a another, let's call it, people off the telly football circuit. It's called Celebrity Soccer with an S. But yeah, yeah it's charity fundraising football matches at various stadiums. So I've had it, but I've not played in one for, for over a year now because it's just got so manic and don't recover as quick at 43 than I did when I was 33 even. And definitely not as quick as when I was 23. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's for sure. The last time, I, think the last, I can't remember how old I was the last time I played football, but it was, uh, it was on Lake Norient's ground for a matchroom team against... Um, an O's vintage team. Um, and there oh, was, okay. There were some good names in that, but the, the worst one was I got carted all, all around the ground the last time I played cricket, and that was literally the last time I played cricket. I did get a wicket. Really? I, I, I got, yeah, I, we, 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 again, it was um, it was Matcham versus an Essex 11, night before the Benson Edges Cup final, so all the, Essex, the big Essex team were all busy, but we had some of the, you know, some of the old stars like Steve Andrew and Robin Hobbs, um, uh, Stuart Turner, Ray East, played. And, um, yeah, there was some young talent coming through as well. I did get Brian Hardy caught extra cover, but I think he felt sorry for me because Stuart Turner had just hit me straight back over my head for, with three consecutive sixes. But, uh, <laughs> one, for, one for 32 in five overs weren't the best, worst figures I ever had in my uh, in my trundling career. But that was, you know, that was something else. And, and but I'll, once I'll, you get the injuries, once you get the injuries, it's that, it's that you start to feel, because it impacts the rest of your life, yeah. doesn't it? And then yeah. you think, oh, is it worth it? Is yeah, it worth it? Right. I love it. But yeah, it's the impact <laughs> on the <So>, fishing. <laughs> so there you are. You're you're probably the most successful tackle company this country's seen, certainly for a very long time. In the in the the length of time it got from being nothing to really something, um, you've been on the telly. You've played. You've been a celebrity on telly, and suddenly you leave. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's because it was all done at quite a speed in quite a young, uh, qu- still at quite a good age, I'd say, for having, believing you've got still gears in you. Um, and I probably wasn't ready for, I think when a company gets big, and I think about it a lot, because I get asked the question a lot, um, it gets to a point where the excitement and the evolution and the changing doesn't happen anymore. It comes more about managing people and just keeping the ship steady and straight. And the big moves are not available anymore because it's just about maintenance almost yeah. and steady growth at that point. And I think I always, I admired Danny so much and I've admired every, every company owner that's built something from nothing. And even though you could say I've not built it from nothing because I already had some sort of standing in the industry, the challenge of starting again was scary, but extremely exciting at the same time. The thought of, I wanted to challenge myself by being involved in product development as well. because I always had an interest in it, but never had a chance to really get stuck into it. And I think having products flavored, if you like, with your personality into them and 
developing stuff exactly because a lot of products at Corda were developed based on what Danny liked to use, which is mm. absolutely fair. It's his company. Um, and, and, and slowly in latter years, it, it, it's evolved as, as more people have become prominent within the brand. There's products that other people within the brand like that the company would bring out. But yeah, I think starting one more cast, the opportunity to, to do it was rare to have investors approach you. Um, quite a rare thing and, and have, uh, you know, and that was, that was good. And, and, and I kind of believed in myself that I could do it, even though it is really scary because you leave a great secure thing to start from scratch. But um, I, I feel like it, it's, it's the worst and best decision I ever made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand that as well, because it, as you say, it must be scary, but you've done something that, you know, Many people wouldn't necessarily do. In fact, I was talking to someone the other day about a different kind of tackle company that's doing it a different way to you. you you've, you've pretty much started almost at the top or above the top of where, where carp fishing, get, clothing in particular, I'm thinking about. You, you've mm. started, I mean, when, when you look at fly anglers and, and salmon anglers, I mean, I say they think nothing about spending a lot of money on a jacket or a pair of waders or a cap or anything. Um, course anglers aren't like that. Course anglers, having come from the sort of hoi polloi and, and, and having to work it hard for every tanner they've got, have tend to be, I think, patronised a bit by tackle companies trying to make things as cheap as they possibly can instead of making them to a standard and then working out a reasonable price that they can sell them for and keep their business going. And, and what you've done is you've come in, and, and I read criticism of, think, like, of, of things like your multi-tool and then I think well hang on a minute how much do I pay for every time I bought well, every time the times I've bought a leather man when I when I've seen a new leather man come out oh I'll have that wave you know that looks nice and and oh 120 quid later I've got one and and you think about that kind of quality I can buy something from another company brand beginning with g for about 20 quid that does the same job but only does it for a little while and it goes rusty and, and and what I've got, you know, the top stuff stays top for a very long time. So how difficult was it for you to make that decision? Well, I don't, do you know what? We, we haven't put like rules or focuses in place. Clothing, you know, when your business partner's the founder of Ted Baker, you had a, you had a, a bit of a leg up with regards to good suppliers. But at the same time, we had a bit of conflict, Ray and I, on the price point because... If it costs X, you can't sell it cheap because you you, you might as well not sell it. Yeah. And 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 he would, and and we are we're in a funny position with clothing because we're making really high level and they actually not able to charge the money that we should charge for that item because of the ceiling produced in the industry, like you say, the price ceiling. So, you know, like the hoodies, the quality of them, the hats, all of that stuff. We've we've gone to produce really top level stuff. And the price is the price, but actually, if it was in another world, like fly fishing or on the high street in a normal shop, probably be three times the price. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, huge so that's, margin. That's There's huge margin in the rag trade, isn't there? Because so much of it is fashionable, and the fashion only lasts maybe three or four months, and then you've got to still yeah. make a profit when you dump it at, at half price. So yeah, well, I can understand that in fashion, but in, the, in in angling, it's very different. Yeah, fashion is a tough, tough. In I say it to Ray, I'm like, how I hate doing clothing. It drives me insane because it's stitch, it's got parts, it's got sizes, 
And actually, the reason fashion markups are so high, because in fashion, people wear stuff to, to look good. So they might, you, they'll order it off you, and then they're sending three quarters of their order back to you, because they're only keeping one. So all that, that's all got to be absorbed in the margin because yeah. of the returns, the price, you know, people. So it's a horrible industry, I'd say, to, to survive in. Take my hat off to anyone who decides to have a fashion brand because it is a night. I'd say it's a nightmare. Tackle, on the other hand, that there's this mythical creation of carp tax, wherever that came from. Um, the cool tool that you refer to, the multi-tool, I, that's a labour of love. I just I, When the company started, we started in June 2021, and I scribbled this thing out. So I'd always been thinking about doing it. And I thought, God, this is going to be so expensive to produce. It was, you know. And actually, it's another one that if we really wanted to have charged the right money, it should be ninety nine ninety nine. But again, carp anglers, they, they were moaning at fifty nine ninety nine. But again, it was the idea was to produce a key, bit of a keepsake, Keith, that people would a keepsake, right? That people <laughs> would. I imagine passed down through generations. It saves on plastic boiling needles. And actually, if you added all the tools up on there and put it in a basket, it'd come to, it'd come to, I've got it here. You're showing me your tool. I'll show only, you mine. Only, only, only me and you can see this because we only record in sound. Um, yeah. But I, I'm showing Ali my Leatherman wave that I'm very proud of that I've had for probably, let's see, it would have been the turn of the 20th century, turn of the 21st century. And as you can see, there's not a bit of rust on it. And I've got a micro a Leatherman Micra that lives in my tackle bag that I've had since 1998. And that certainly yeah. hasn't got a bit of rust on it. It's been fishing with me every time I go fishing. Ah, oh, yeah. We had, I mean, talking of rust, there was one one gentleman, I've spoken to him. He's a lovely guy called Ryan. He bought he bought the multi-tool and he, he uh, left it outside on a bucket overnight. We've actually tested this for like, I think it's entering its ninth week now outside in snow on Mike's garden, right? And I obviously had the samples before my prototypes checked for for weeks on end, used it, just used it like I would as an angler, yeah. not a blemish on it, right? But this one customer had um, reckoned he had one go rusty, reckoned because I hadn't seen it, just seen the images, and it went all over the internet, viral, oh, Ali selling, yeah. like, you know, knock off, knock off Chinese stainless. I mean, this is, for, for, yeah, yeah. Oh, crazy what, 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 what I had to go through with it. Anyway, I finally got the tool this week. He sent it back and I went to it, got, got my finger with the, the and, and he had, he had left it out and there was, but the drill bit, the drill bit on this, because no one can see all of it is stainless, but obviously the, the main part is all this stuff. This is yeah. all stainless. These handles that have been CNC'd. The drill bit's not because it's a drill bit that can be removed and changed. That had gone rusty. He must have left it in salty water or something. I don't know. And then the rust, when it is raining, has come off that and pebble dashed all around the tool. And when I got, I got, I got my fingernails and just picked it off. And on another bit, I just brushed it off with my with my skin. It wasn't rust. It was stained. Yeah. And then, yeah. but. By then, too late. I said to I said to the lovely gentleman, I said, you, you, "It's all over the internet, and people believe people now." I yeah. mean, you only had to look at what we went through with COVID. <laughs> Dave's sister's uncle's auntie's brother is now the spokesperson for health, public yeah. health, as opposed to the experts. 
and 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 that you do have to you have to live with that that criticism and you have to but you have to believe in yourself do yeah. what you know you've got to bring product you can't bring out crap product at a price because that's going to damage your brand even more absolutely yeah yeah and the, no. as, as i said there's too, there's too much tackle aim too low but that's that's something else have, have, have you got sort of an end game for one more cast where do you want not an end game but where what order of progression do you see and 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 how big is wrong because big would be decided by turnover what kind of tackle range or or range do you envisage one more cast uh, developing well it's an interesting one because when we started i wasn't planning on going into terminal tackle quickly but then but then I start, I had the idea of the all-in-one rigs, which is leader, lead system, hook link, all-in-one. So all they have to do is tie it on and put a lead on and a bait and they're fishing. I really felt there was room for that. So by doing that, I had to begin developing and sourcing items to make those rigs. So once I started, this is within a few weeks of starting the company, I was like, you're going to have to do it. There's no point doing all that work and then just putting it on some ready rigs. Very and also at the same time we had we had a very big tech product in development which is still in development. It's not this grinder you've seen online. It's something completely mm-hmm. different. Um, and then I realised that's going to take a long time. Then you start to know you can't travel out to the far east to, because of COVID. So you start to focus. And I went fishing as well. And I went fishing. Um, but I think two weeks in the company starting to do a vlog. And I was, of course, casting out quarter tackle because that's what all my tackle box was full of. Very quickly, I was like, this feels weird. Like, I'm using, you know, I want, basically, when I go fishing in the future, I want the stuff I use, my contact between me and the fish, to be the stuff that we've created as a brand. I think that's fair. Yeah. You know, that, 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 and, and, I, and I'd say all the exciting parts of the swim you know, as a fisherman and genre, because I've got, even down here, Keith, I've got some big, big butch hooks, right? Because I wanted, with the One More Cars brand, there is the potential for it to be um, spread across the genres. Not me being the expert, but by developing a team of people who are experts in different genres of fishing, whether that be Definitely coarse angling, without a doubt. I'm already working on feeders and stuff because I love it. So if I love it and I do it, I'd love us to be able to one day be able to produce the best possible products in that sector too, which wasn't – I think fishing's quite weird in that they've convinced themselves of this branding thing. There's no rules in branding. That's one of the things I've learned over the years of market. There's no rules. You can't say you can do this and you can't do that social media changed all of that anyway so fishing brands seems for example corder and guru i was against guru being called guru i would have just called it corder whatever and just still got steve ringer involved and and alex bones at the time and then obviously adam rooney because they were experts in their field we already had a name you can't say your names oh because it's corder that the match anglers won't take it seriously well if steve ringer's using it you're taking it seriously or if Kiefer, so I, I, I've never bought into that. So that's why the One More Cast brand is always open-minded, will hopefully grow through hard work, and 
the you know the the world is your I I, I like to say lobster. I know yeah, it's oyster. Yeah, we all do, don't we? Really? Uh, yeah, 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 and I, and I, yeah, I like the thought. Of, you know, I'd work on rods, whatever we can do a good job of, and it's not for money at all. Even though with with growth and security and stability comes that for me, it's the it's the pride of one day looking at a range and it being you you know being a brand that you've built. That would be to have, to told that little boy that was fishing for eels that he'd have you know yeah. fishing rods uh, you know one more cast fishing rods or whatever i wouldn't have believed you can, can um, i give you a little tiny microcosm of that i, I was yeah yesterday i was at the uh get hooked on fishing lakes at, at Northolt. we had some um, some some youngsters there and we had to break the ice to fish and, and it was very cold and um, I'd taken in some liquidised bread out of my feeder and I was scrabbling through our, our huge range of donated tackle, which is mostly quite ancient. And, and Carl, the manager, said, what are you looking for? I said, I'm looking for a bread punch. He went, oh, he said, I don't know if we got any. And he, he went away and, and, and Carl um, is, is in a mobility scooter. He, had a, he broke his back in a, in a, some years ago anyway. But, and he came scooting back and he went, here. And he gave me this little plastic sleeve with four bread punches inside it, £2.25 on the outside, and the instruction label on how to use them on the inside. And I designed those for Peter Drennan in 1980. Bosh. Still, still available. Going. Still available yeah. today. The, the set of blue yeah. bread punches, you've probably seen them from a very small size to a, a slightly bigger size, but they're all aimed at match fishing, catching roach, mostly on canals, which is what bread punch fishing was back then. And uh, I said, you won't believe this, mate. I said, I designed these. He said, no. That's I, said, mad, I, I said, I drew it on a bit of paper. I said, you look at that distance there. When you hold the head between your finger, forefinger and thumb, the base sticks in the palm of your hand. So you've got exactly the right amount of pressure to put on it. The measurement of the depth is exactly half that of a medium-sized slice loaf. And, and there's a slot in the side because the old Abbey bread punches didn't have the slot. So after about 10 goes, you'd blunted your hook. So I said, this week... And, and he's... Oh, that's amazing. I said, and I even wrote the blurb on what's inside as well. So, yeah. That oh, thought, that's brilliant. Oh, and, and that's a microcosm of what you're saying. I haven't designed much else, Lord knows. But but that was something that I was able to, I didn't put my name on it, um, obviously, because Drennan doesn't have people's names on stuff. And, and, yeah. and, and I would never expect him to. And, you know, oh, that's good. Look, Terry Earns designed that 300 pound rod and he's done a two quid set of bread punches. But it, oh, that yeah, all came yeah. about because Pete Drennan said to me, look, I've, I've got this factory that makes plastics. What can we make for fishing out of plastic? Virtually nothing was plastic 45 years ago, 40 odd years ago. So, yeah, that's, that's where that. So, a, a Microsoft, I understand your, your pride in what comes out. Um, very oh, I'll get more as well. Yeah, yeah. with other people, with other people. I've, when I think back now, I look. There is another. There's another dimension that by by beginning the company that I've I've developed in my career of satisfaction, but also another dimension of anxiety that I didn't know exists before. Because now <laughs> you're creating stuff, and people are using it. And I think Danny, for example, because we were with social media. I, Again, I tried to be at the beginning of everything, you know, didn't know where Facebook was going to go. It was obviously going to go same. But I see all the – I was, I suppose, the defence. So Dan never really went on Facebook. So if someone was criticising about a hook open out or a hook link snap or whatever and they're saying it's the worst thing ever, I, I would be the one defending that. But it didn't feel as bad 
as now when it's your own products if someone has a criticism crikey you really it does you really don't want the per not one you don't want a single person to ever have a bad experience with your product because you take it so personally Ali we're so we're so similar mate we are so so similar because I I feel every bit of your pain there I, I, I one thing I don't like is criticisms somebody said to me once you know you have some strange opinions I said just but they're always right because if they weren't, I'd have a different one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Now, now, yeah, we've had a load of fun this afternoon, and you always seem to be having fun when you're fishing. I'm, I'm sure it isn't always necessarily the case, but but when I see so many images of people that have caught the fish of a lifetime and look like they've just tapped in a great big cow pat as they went to take the photo of it, you know, they've got fa- my my grand my late grandmother great grandmother would say he's got a face like a kite, and and that's true. And a big long face. Oh, look at this, and and whether that's or not, I don't know, but uh, you always seem to be smiling. All your all your programs have been based around fun. There's a fun element, and you nurtured that. And and the the the, the videos that, that the old company come out with, and the films that you make now are still the same. That they're, they're all based around enjoyment, fun, bit of Mickey taking, laughter, and and when you catch a fish, you look very, 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 very happy about it. I enjoy. I I have always tried to. I've always been that type of character, try to be the, the, the sort of one that cracks the jokes and has a laugh. And I think um wasn't always embraced at Corda. People wanted me to be a bit more cool, carpy, let's call it. And I think that, and that's why I think there's a pocket of the carp fishing world. It is a tiny pocket of the, you know, the overnight crew and the fish every time. And I'm not cool to them. I am the, I call it the antichrist <laughs> to them, but, to the majority and the people that follow and view, I think they, they do like for it to be a bit more fun and, and, and not as serious. And I think the people I bump into at shows, they're not fishing all the time. They are, they're not able to, they've got lives. And so to see, to see enjoyment from it and it not being so serious, not just about how many fish you can catch, but when you do catch it being something, I think more people could relate to that than they can the guy that goes fishing five times a week or three times a week every week because I don't know how many people in this country or anywhere can afford to do that, you know, time-wise. So, yeah, I, I, it's relatable. I like, I'm glad you think that, and, I'm, I'm, and I, I always get a sense when I meet people in public that there is a, a degree of, Sometimes I think, do I know them because they're talking to me like they know me? And there's a and are you probably get it, Keith? Because you're the similar jovial, happy character. Like, all right, Keith, probably like yeah. because they're your mate, and that's because you've given that feeling, which is correct. Because your true personality is the same as your on-screen personality, and I think that's that's where you and I are similar. Some people aren't; they've got the split personality, haven't they? Mm. One and another. And and I and I like that. I like they feel comfortable to come up and talk to me like a normal, like they should. Normal guy, come and have a chat, whether it's in Sainsbury's Pastoral or um, or by lake. You know, yeah. I love it. We get that, and I know your voice. You're the bloke that was on yeah. the radio talking about fishing, and I'll tell you who said that to me, Ian Wright. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bumped into him one day, and I said. Mate, I said, you don't know how big, a, big an honour it is for me to meet you. I've been a you know, gooner all my life, and you came and changed the game. He said, oh, I know your voice. 
You're the bloke that does the fishing on Talk Sport. <laughs> I listen to you when I'm on my way to match it. And I thought, why the old chest came out there? But that, oh, lovely. Yeah, and that, but that's the sort of thing that, that, that can happen, isn't it? You have a personality which is really likeable and they, they, they warm to you. When, they, when it's a friendly face and a smiley face and someone they can relate to, I think, I think you can be, you know, be too serious or it can be, I mean, as long as I always say, have a laugh enjoy yourself you'll never find me levered by a bank i never drink when i'm no. and the fish fish care and everything's there but you know on telly i'll scream and holler when a fish goes in the next we're making a tv show do i scream and holler if i was fishing for myself probably not because i'm just enjoying it anyway there's no camera i need to talk to but you know that my personality doesn't change and that's what I'm, I'm i'm proud of that um i've never got the split personality thing and that's why I suppose me and you have stayed mates for so long because you've always, uh, it's the same Keith on and off camera. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Same yeah. geezer. So it's good. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I bet though, when that big fish is in the net or that special fish is in the net or an important fish is in the net, you look around to make sure no one can hear and you go, yes, get him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's been, so it's a strange one that, you know, as well, Keith, because the last, I said it to someone else, almost all of my fishing moments in the last, oh, God, I don't know. 15 years, my best captures have all been with a cameraman there. Yeah, so it's all ended up on national telly. Yeah. But apart from catching my first ever marlin, because even then when I hooked that, I was like, yeah, I'll skip, take the phone, <laughs> film all that. I'll make a reel out of that. But that's just because my head's programmed into now creating content yeah. to keep it yeah. going. But that's probably one of the only fish I reckon I've caught where there wasn't an, a, a significant capture, where there wasn't a proper fully fledged cameraman there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was just, I got to sweat on my own. <laughs> I, think, I think it's because we probably get to fish different places in different ways. Like I've caught seven, double, six or seven, can't remember, six or seven double-figure barbel in my life. And all but one of them was on telly. Really? Yeah, one was with David Seaman, one was with Jimmy Bullard. So <laughs> and, and, yeah, and some, yeah, because... Some just, just been on my own and I've been doing how-to features or let's have a look at this river features of adventure yeah. Avon, here's the Bristol Avon, whatever. Yes, yeah, I think it's six out of the seven. The only one I caught that wasn't on telly, if I lean back, so go a bit quieter, and look out of my window, I can see the tree behind the swim where I caught it from. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Impressive. You know, I, 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 live, I live by the tidal Thames. Yeah, on the Thames. Yeah, yeah, I caught yeah. exactly 11 pounds, and, and a chap walked along with a, um, walking along with his, he stopped to watch me fight this fish, and um, he was South African, so that's a lovely fish. I said, can you take a picture of it for me? And I've got quite a shaky image of this uh, this bar that I'm holding up, all pleased as punch, but yeah, that's, that's amazing. But, Wicked. So, Wicked. so you, you've, you've now got, one more cast is an established brand. You're adding new product all the time. Um, that's your sort of future. Have you got any any plans for anything else? I mean, you've got a lovely young family. You you had a, yeah. a, a very special weekend away recently that I know about. Did you get a bite, by the way? No, no. I put. I did. Um, so yeah, baby came along. I, I kind of still think that if I stayed doing what I was because we had tried for a long time that baby might never have come along because I was away so much but now mm. she has so that's great yeah we went that that that, that Thames trip funny I did exactly what I said to you I was going to do so um we've got a cool little product in development it's almost like a type of stop that you can thread the thread the worms on with whilst trapping the hair and a, a needle kit to go with it so I used a big bunch of dendrobenas and a few lobworms on the hair flopped them out 
in close because luckily it was, like we said, between a couple of little islands, so there was a bit of slack. But I had a few, I had the receiver with me and I sat in the conservatory, a few pulls and tugs on that, but not off a proper fish, you know. Um, so I then went and changed the hook bait to something that I knew would stay on, even if little fish were pecking at it. And I, no, nothing after that. So yeah, didn't, there was, it, was, it was pretty lifeless. Put a bit of bait in as well. Um, couldn't fish very far out. Even the swirl in that little area was bringing in so carrier yeah. bags on the line and yeah. weed and and it was a oh, horrible color the river proper yeah. i didn't even, I, I had the worms and i thought oh, i might have a little dip around with a float here by the um by the boats but i just thought even then i thought god it's yeah. such a horrible color i can't imagine can't imagine a sergeant coming out from under a boat for for the worms with all Super, that smell supersonic cocoa is how i describe the river when it looks like that it's yeah not, not very yeah. nice at all no well i'm i'm, I'm do you get do you get much but do they do many people still fit do any does anyone ever have a go and do they ever catch anything when it's like that yeah we used to have to fish matches in those conditions and there are tricks and techniques you can use bream are the the the, 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 the species that are most likely to feed bread is probably the bait that's most likely to catch them um you know john guard he's had um since christmas he's had a two pound roach and an eight pound 11 bream from the stretch i can see you know from the, the bank i can see from from where i live so yeah there are no. fish to be caught you've just got to know where to go uh, and the historic places and i call it flat water you don't want anything going around in circles and whirly gigs you want it to be flat and it doesn't yeah. matter if it's only two foot square if it's flat that's where you can present a bait properly and where you imagine i i, I relate it to people trying to eat something they've just gone into kfc and they've come out with a nice box of chicken and when they go outside there's a hurricane blowing leaves and sticks and twigs at them you know you don't feel like opening your mouth to bang a bit of chicken in it do you so no, and it, no. i can only imagine it's a bit of anthropomorphism but I can only imagine a, a poor old fish feeling the same that it's got like half a sycamore tree about to bash it on the crust while it's looking at a bunch of worms. It's not, you know, it's not actually conducive to feeding, is it? So look for that little bit of flat water right against the bank sometimes, and and just you know keep your fingers crossed and uh, make sure you enjoy <laughs> being there. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, I think that's about it. I can't think of anything else to squeeze out of you. Um, I, I admire you intensely for what you've done, and I've always admired what you've done, even when you, as you said, you you were on work experience at Sky. You were always so keen to learn. I know you were heavily into your boxing then, and you know Johnny Nelson being about what, and and, uh, and <laughs> Sarah, who produced, um, who directed Tight Lines a few times. She's now the boxing queen. Yeah, she's uh yeah, I know. I haven't I haven't been there for a, for a, for a good few years now, but I, I think quite quite a few of the old guard that I remember is still there. Yes, you know, they this, are. I mean talking 24 25 years on yeah. they're still there, which is lovely. Time goes too quickly, you know. Um time goes too quickly and and and, and I suppose that's why I've enjoyed I've enjoyed this new challenge. Um because you, I don't want to live with the regret of having not taken it. Um, but on, still, mate, yeah. still smiling. Listen, Cocker, great talking to you, mate. More power Thank to you, your elbow. I have you many more casts rather than just one more. I hope you have many more casts. And um, we'll get together sometime soon. Thanks, Keith. Cheers, Ali. You're more than welcome. My great thanks to Ali Hamidi for joining me on The Strange Boat. It's been an interesting and entertaining voyage for sure. If you haven't joined up already, you can like and subscribe to the channel and be kept in the loop on all our adventures. I'll be back soon with a different crewmate and it'd be lovely if you could join me. But for now, from me, Keith Arthur, it's cheers and tight lines.
Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.